morning we are uh, we have a special treat this morning um, and uh, it's my privilege to introduce to all of us this morning dr. Craig Mitchell um, dr. Mitchell if I if I read off to you everything that uh, he has accomplished uh, he wouldn't have time to preach this morning but uh, if you've not met uh, Craig, I want to encourage you to do so soon. He is a very uh, interesting individual, and God has used him mightily. Let me just mention uh, some of the things that uh, Craig has accomplished uh, in his brief lifetime. Um, he uh, he studied at the University of Texas of Arlington, so I think we've got some uh, uh, Texas uh, hook 'em horns people around here somewhere. But uh, he uh, studied economics and uh, public policy there at uh, University of Texas of Ar- Arlington. He, did you receive your Ph.D. there? No, I okay. And then he studied at uh, Southwestern Seminary and uh, received uh, uh, doctorates there. Um, he has been a professor at Southwestern uh, Theological Seminary, uh, professor in philosophy, politics, and economics also at uh, Criswell College, and um, he was involved in, he was a research fellow with uh, ethics and religious and the Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He was the director of the Richard Land Center for Cultural Engagement. He studied electrical engineering at the Naval Postgraduate School. He was in the U.S. Air Force as a military officer, research and development engineer at the United States Air Force. And um, I think you got a master's degree in electrical engineering, too, didn't you? Engineering management. So I could go on and on, but uh, uh, it's an amazing story of how God has brought him here to Ridgecrest. And... uh, Craig is teaching a Sunday school class right now. We need we had to find somebody with uh, three doctor's degrees in theology to replace uh, Fred Bizarro, who had taught that Sunday school class for 25 years. And so I think we found somebody in uh, Dr. Mitchell. But, uh, yeah, he is in our church. It's amazing. He's here in Ridgecrest. And uh, I think we're all going to be blessed this morning by what he has to say as he finishes up the book of 1 Timothy. So please give a warm welcome this morning to Dr. Craig Mitchell. That wasn't the most articulate, but (laughs) I thought it was just fine. Um, I'm so thankful to be here today. You know, you guys have been so warm and friendly since I've been here, and and you know, you know, we have wonderful pastor, don't we, with Bill Logan? I I spent 15 years teaching pastors and those who intended to be pastors, and here's one of the interesting things. Within 10 years of getting their Master's of Divinity degrees, 50% are in no full-time Christian mystery. 
Many are called, few are chosen. And you know, the ministry is not for whiners, wimps, or weasels. And unfortunately, it seems like we fill that quota for those sorts all the time. A lot of times when I was teaching a course in ethics, I would spend time in Timothy, but generally it'd be around chapter 3. And one of the things you find in chapter 3 is the qualifications for elders and deacons, for pastors. And that's where I would spend most of my time. And for whatever reason, I never really spend any time in this particular section. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And let's read through the section that we're, we're finishing here. Starting with verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession from before Pontius Pilate. I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us wisdom and insight and understanding as we go through your word. We pray that, Lord, that each one here would take what we find to heart, and that, Lord, that we would live in a way that would glorify your holy name. Lord, guys, these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take a look at verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from these things. What things? Well... The things he's telling him to flee from are in the previous few verses. Let's go to chapter 6, verse one, uh, verse um, 3. 
He says, teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with sound, the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all that promote godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing in the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with these. But those who want to be rich and fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish, harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many a grief. He's saying, in contrast to these guys, you are a man of God. And you need to flee these things. What things are he supposed to flee? Number one, false teaching, false doctrine. Number two, the love of money. You know, I'll I'll, I'll tell you, you know, you teach in a seminary, um, for a few years, and let me let me tell you, you see all kinds of stories. You hear all kinds of stories. You see guys rise, and you see them fall. And all too often, they fall over the same stupid kind of stuff. And sadly, one of the things that happens is you get a lot of guys who come into the ministry, and for the life of you, you just don't know why. And Bill, I know you know what I'm talking about. You know, I've met person after person after person who think, well, it's all about style. Or it's all about, it's everything about the substance to them. They think that doctrine is not important. Well, Paul is making it crystal clear to Timothy, hey, teach sound doctrine. Because what you believe determines how you live. You believe the wrong things, you'll do the wrong things. And and like I said, I've seen guys start off well and bit by bit by bit, they drift. And before you know it, they're out of the ministry. What's worse is some of these guys who stay in the ministry for long periods of time. One of the things, you know, and I know some of my students love me, but I had another bunch that hated me. And the reason was because I was tough on them. And the reason I was tough on them was because so many of them did not take this stuff seriously. I used to say to them, you know, when some of you walk across the stage and they hand you that degree, they may as well stamp 007 across that thing. 
Because we've licensed you to kill, and that's what some of you are going to do. You're going to go to a church, and you're going to kill it. And sadly, I've seen, I've seen some of my own students do that. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. This next verse is fascinating. Because, you know, one of the things that, that, that I, I always do, and one of the things we, we try to teach people, we, one, we teach them to read ancient Hebrew, to read ancient Greek. And, and I have to admit, you know, um, my Hebrew ain't the best these days. My Greek is still pretty good. And here's the interesting thing about verse 12. Fight the good fight. Now, the word I expected to see in the Greek was some form of the word machia, which means to fight or to battle or that sort of thing. That's not the root word that's used here. The root word that's used here is the word agon. Guess what word we get from that? Agony. And... The first time you see this word fight, it's a present middle voice. And here's what it means by a middle voice. The action, the person doing the action does it to himself. So what he's saying is, fight with yourself over the good fight. Because, you know... Yeah, there's people on the outside that you have to deal with, but you know who else you have to deal with? Yourself. He says, Agonitsu, the good agon. Fight yourself for the good fight. And then he says this, Take hold of eternal life. Now here's what he does not mean. He does not mean that we should be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. But you know what? That really isn't a problem for most people today. Because the truth of the matter is, most people in the church are so earthly minded that they are no heavenly good. Jonathan Edwards used to pray, God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. You and I need to be continually thinking about eternity. Yeah, we've got to deal with the here and now. But we have to have that eternal view. There's a, a song by the rock group Kansas off the Left Overture album called The Wall. Any, any of you know that? Yeah, a few of you. Words go like this. I'm moving in a fantasy. I can't believe the things I see. The path that I've taken now has led me to a wall. And with each passing day, I feel a little more like something dear was lost. 
It rises now before me, a dark and silent barrier between all that I am and all that I was ever meant to be. Just a travesty. To pass beyond is what I seek. I fear that I might be too weak. For those are few who've seen it through to glimpse the other side. The promised land is waiting like a maiden that is soon to be a bride. The moment is a masterpiece. The weight of indecisions in the air. Standing there. Simple in the sum of all that's me. Just a travesty. And the last part goes like this. Gold and diamonds cast a spell. It's not for me. I know it well. The riches that I seek are waiting on the other side. Well, are they? Or are you only settling for what's here and what's now? Folks, all this stuff is going to fade away. Are you investing in eternity? Are you looking at the eternal? Are you looking at what really counts? He says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This good confession he's talking about is a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, it's real easy to say those words. But have you ever really thought about what they actually mean? He's Lord over all of your life. Not just this part, or not just that part, but the whole thing. <coughs> Verse 13 here is interesting. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving Timothy a charge. He's giving him a commission. And this is not the first time he's done it in this particular section of Scripture. Let's take a quick look at chapter 1. Let's go to verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling that them that you might fight the good fight, having the faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan 
so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Now, this is the first time he gives him this charge. He gives them this commission. He does not want Timothy to forget this. So he gives him this commission, this charge again. Here's something else. In the presence of God who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. Let's take a look at that. Let's go to John. Let's go to chapter 18. Let's go to verse 37. And really, the, the, the previous verses, there's, there's just so much here. But for the sake of time, let's just go to verse 37. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Now here's what you need to understand, folks. Herod tried to kill Jesus as baby. Why? Because he was a king. And Herod viewed him as a competitor. So he had to try to kill him. Later on, what you've got here is this situation. In John chapter 18, Pilate is a governor for Rome. And in Rome... There's only one king. Guess who that was? Caesar. You want to know something interesting about Augustus Caesar, Octavian? He was said to be the son of God. Yeah. In Virgil's Aenid, they make it clear that Augustus Caesar was the son of God. He was supposed to be the king of kings. Well, he has a competitor. And I can tell you who won that contest. Pilate, because he is Caesar's representative, he has no choice. Once somebody proclaims they're a king, the Jews want to get rid of him. Why? Because the Jewish leadership, they did not want a king. Because the Sanhedrin was in charge. Now here's the thing, folks. They realized he was a king then. And for a long time thereafter, people realized he was a king. 
And everybody who realized, a lot of these government people who realized he was a king, they hated him. And they hated those who followed him. Well, guess what? Things have not changed one little bit. That's why this is ever-growing hostility towards Christians and a Christian worldview, which was what made this country great. Say what you will about Donald Trump. I'll tell you one thing. He's done a lot to ensure that we have religious liberty, and he's done a lot to make sure that the Bible has a prominent place in our society. So, however else you might feel about him, we need to thank God for that. Amen? So, here's one of the other things we need to see here. In verse 14 he says, Keep this commandment command without fault or failure till the appearing of our Lord. This translation, which I'm using, um, is a Holman Christian standard. And I was a contributor to one of the study Bibles based on this. But I really don't think that's perhaps the best translation. Perhaps a better translation would be spotless, blameless. The the word in, in the Greek is the word, the root word is spion. It means spot. But this word in particular has what's called an alpha negative. You put an alpha in front of a word and it reverses the meaning. So rather than having a stain or a spot, he says, you need to keep this spotless, stainless, pure. To keep this command without fault or failure till the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, this command wasn't just to Timothy. Really, it's it's for everyone who's in the ministry and really for any Christian. This is why we are told to live exemplary lives. Because if we live the kind of life of, of, of sinfulness and reproach, well, we don't have any impact. And frankly, I think this is one of the reasons why the church has lost a lot of its evangelistic power. We don't look any different from the people in the world. We go to the same places, we do the same things, we listen to all the same music. And we don't really see sin for what it is and respond accordingly. So the world, they just look at us and they say, they don't take it seriously, so why should we? Last Sunday, there was an article in the Houston Chronicle 
this article with three parts explained that they had a list of over a few hundred pastors who had been involved in all sorts of pedophilia and sexual immorality who were still in the church in some cases. Like I said, when some of those guys walk across the stage with their MDivs, they may as well sent 007 across those things. You know, uh, I, I think seminary is a good and important thing. But at the end of the day, what's needed is a man who knows the word of God and a man who knows the God of that word. But also what's needed is a man who's going to live accordingly. And sadly, there are too many people who are harming the name of Christ because they don't live accordingly. He says... To keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 24, one of the things he says is, Nobody knows when that's going to happen. So you need to be faithful till he does show up. You need to live like he is going to show up. Because he is... Verse 15, God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Some interesting things about this verse when you look at it in, in the Greek. The word for sovereign. The Greek word is dunastes. What word do we get from that? Dynasty. He is the ruler. The power. And here's one of the things that's also interesting. It says, King of Kings. The, the second time the word kings is used there, it's, it's a present active participle. So here's what it literally means. The king of those king. And the same thing with the next part. The lord of those lording. You know, you get all these leaders, world leaders, and they think they're it. Well, they're nothing. Their reigns come, and they're gone. 
but he's still on his throne. And they will all have to submit to him. Okay. Well, that's nice for them. What about you and me? Is he really your king? Do you seek his will? Do you seek his permission as you go about making your decisions? Or are these just words? Yeah, he's king, king, lord, lord. Rolls off the lips, off the tongue rather easily. It's another thing to actually live like you believe that. Verse 16, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. Uh, there was a movie that came out last year. You know, okay, I, I got to admit, I'm a, I'm a comic book fan. I have always been. And, and uh, there was a movie that came out last year, The Avengers, okay? Um, how many of you saw it? Did any of you see it? Okay, a few of you saw it, okay? There's a bad guy, the villain in that movie. His name is what? Thanos, okay? You know what his name means in the Greek? means death. The word that's used for immortal here is this word with an alpha negative. It says that he, well, essentially it implies he cannot die. Athanasian. He cannot die. He's immortal. And one of the things it says here is it says that he lives, he's, he lives in unapproachable light. And you know, as, as, as I was reading this, I could not help but think of an old hymn. You know, you, you, you learn your theology from your hymnology, don't you? Yeah. Walter Chalmers Smith, he wrote this in 1867. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small, in all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree and wither and perish, but not changeth thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. All laud we would render, 
Oh, help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. There's so much in that. I mean, that one verse by itself, you know, you could preach, you could preach for a long time on that one. But he goes on to say, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal power. Amen. And then he goes on, he's trying to fish up here, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God. One of the interesting things is when you read Aristotle's politics, one of the things that he says is, you know, when you when you have a society, he says, you don't want too many p- poor people. He says, because if you, if you have a, a large poor class, what happens is, he says, they become envious and they don't listen to reason. But he also says, you don't want a bunch of rich people either. And he says, the reason you don't is because they don't listen to reason and they are haughty or arrogant. Just as Paul says here. You know, in this country, you know, we are the wealthiest country in the world, by far. China is a distant second. And it is because of the wealth that this country gained, specifically after World War II, because you know, the rest of the world was, the West of world economy was destroyed as a result of World War II. So we were far wealthier than everybody else. And what happened is the generations that followed were just used to all of this wealth. And with it, one of the things that happened was this slow drift from God. Because people trusted in their finances rather than him. And this is a tendency we all must be careful of. Paul goes on to say, Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on who? God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a foundation for for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter 3, I'm sorry. And let's go to verse 12. Verse 10. 
According to God's grace, which was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is careful, is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, or silver, or costly stones, or wood, or hay, or straw, each one's work will be Come obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Here's what he's saying. Each of us has been given a basket of goods. Health, intelligence, brains, wealth, family, whatever. And you are, if you are a believer, you're going to be held accountable for how you use that stuff. You can invest it all now, or you can invest it in eternity. Because here's what's going to happen if you are a believer. He's going to take your works, and he's going to set them on fire. Now, if you invested in wood, or hay, or stubble, and that stuff is set on fire, what happens to it? And what do you got? But if you invest in gold, what is spiritual, eternal gold, and silver, and costly stones, set that stuff to fire, what happens to it? It's going to last. Are you investing in eternity Or when that stuff is set on fire, are you going to have nothing left? Verse 20. Timothy, guard would have been entrusted to you. Avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. You know, people can get off track so easily. You know what? God has given us his word. Now folks, that's where we need to spend our time and our energy, trying to hear from him. Not from dreams, not from astrology or, you know, soothsayers or any of that. You want to get close to him, you need to spend your time in his word. By professing it, some have departed from the faith. 
some of these people, they, they, they gravitate towards all the junk, all the false doctrine, and it leads them astray. He's warned Timothy about this time and again. Because we have to watch ourselves. Our hearts. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? So here's the thing, folks. What are you investing in? Do you have a view towards eternity? Are you encouraging others to do the same? Are you loving what he loves? Are you hating what he hates? Or are you just sort of doing your own thing? Folks, we serve a patient, loving, and forgiving God. And if you're not doing those things now, now is the time of repentance. Now is the time to get those things right. Now is the time to start living for him like he is the eternal king of kings. Amen.